Welcome to the Nuggets, Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schubert. We'll be joined once again by Denver Post Nuggets beat writer Mike Singer to cover a bunch of topics. The trade deadline's right around the corner, and Bones Highland is getting shopped. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Saturday's Jokic versus Embiid matchup. We're talking about Mike Porter Jr. coming back to the team, and a whole host of other things coming up next. about eight degrees outside uh, my dog uh, not in the building right now i believe on a walk so that's good in the eight degree weather in the eight well you know big coat got a big dog coat can, can we reach out to PETA for a potential sponsorship <laughs> <laughs> that's right the nuggets inc podcast sponsored by nobody um a lot of news going out right now uh, Mike, you just threw some out there on the interwebs. Um, this is where we're going to start. We're just jumping right into this was it. It's not a throw out there. This was a you know thoroughly sourced thing oh, that no, I've been Nobody's chasing. questioning your professionalism, Mike Singer. Bones Highland would would can I term it as uh, being bandied about in trades? Is that it? Would that be a Band- Accurate representation. I think bandied is, is shopped. Bandied Can I say is, shopped? Well, I mean, it's all semantics. Um, however, I, you know, I reported that the Nuggets are gauging interest, gauging the value uh, for Bones Highland, both in canvassing the league and receiving calls. So that suggests a two-way dialogue. Um, teams are calling, and the Nuggets are calling teams as well. Um, when you canvass, like. Is that all the teams in the league? Is I don't that know. A, that's a it's a it's a good question that I wish I had specifics on, but it means you put feelers out and um, you see what the interest level is in bones. And look, you know, I, I've heard a number of teams. I've heard a lot of teams. I'm not going to say those teams because I haven't confirmed them, but I, I definitely feel comfortable in saying there's significant interest in bones. Um, and what I reported is that uh, the Nuggets are looking for a guy with two-way skills who is on a commensurate uh, contract, uh, you know, maybe a rookie-scale contract or some somewhere in the same ballpark as Bones um, to potentially upgrade their uh, their their depth their depth chart heading into the postseason, heading into the final run. So, or, like, so like a wing. So is like that, a, is that a is that worse? We're, we're saying a wing that can defend and shoot some threes. So I mean, it, it's a little ambiguous what exactly it is. It could be a guard that plays two way. It could be a wing that plays two way. Um, if this was not an option, that's then, a really hot commodity to try to trade for. Like people generally want to hold on to those sorts of players, don't they? Of course, but we're going to get to Bones's value in a second. Um, in a, in addition to that, the Nuggets are would at least listen or at least comfortable with some level of draft compensation as well. Does that mean a second round pick um, with a impact player? Or as I reported, um, does that mean a first round pick? The Nuggets believe that they do have traction on a potential first round pick uh, if it came to that. Just a first round pick? I think that that would be a just. I don't think that it's a, a so first round pick and uh, and something else. How does that help winning a championship in the 2022-23 season? I believe that their their priority is an impact player. So, you know, it's it's weird to say a first round pick is a quote unquote fallback plan, um, but I think that they want an impact player first, 
And if that doesn't happen, then maybe they would consider moving him for a first round pick. Okay, and, and well, to, hold on. Let me. I'm going to interrupt again. I'm sorry. Apologies. What to else the, is new? Apologies to the listeners. Um, okay, so you're saying either an impact player or the fallback getting a first rounder. That makes me think like they just want to get rid of Bones. They want to improve the team. Well, but you're not improving the team with a first-round pick. Correct. Unless Um, you're flipping that first-round pick for some other player. Which I don't know if that's the case or not. So I I can't speak to the motivation of the first-round pick. But in terms of the impact player, you are getting conceivably getting somebody who aids the, or who elevates your chances of winning a championship in the immediate. If, if, if that does happen, that's the goal. You know, we all, we've talked about this before. What, is, what are the type of players, A, that Calvin Booth covets, that he actively looks for, those two-way guys, those big two-way guys who are versatile, switchy? What types of players does Michael Malone like to play? Those type of players with experience, a vast runway, and, and, and a track record of having had an impact in that style hard to imagine they would get that though if you're matching salary hard to imagine but i mean if if look I, what, what i mean by that is hard to imagine they'd get a veteran player I understand because what you're saying. the price tag is going to be i understand bigger. what you're saying um but if you are look this is incumbent on calvin booth to to make these calls this is incumbent on um the, the nuggets organization as a whole to you know, see what is available and what's out there. And this is this is what I'm getting to. Um, when you talk about the the price of of Bones Highland and what he he's worth, this is a guy who is a year and a half into his career, a year a season and a half. You are trading for a guy with two and a half years left on his contract. It's just the rookie scale contract. You are trading for a guy with matching rights when it goes to restricted, yep. which. Doesn't always happen. Clear- essentially, several years of team control. More than several years. You could have, you know, up six years of team mm-hmm. control of this, you know, electric player who can go off for 25 plus with extended minutes. He's averaging 12.3 in barely 20 minutes a game. Just give him more confidence and give him more minutes and a bigger runway. Um, there's no doubt that this guy can average 20. Like, there's no doubt that this guy can average 20 in the league, but you have to look at the context. What is the team that he would play for? And is there, is there a marriage between a team that, you know, has different, has different goals or different priorities than the Nuggets this year? Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Nuggets prioritizing their best chance to win a championship, and does Bones align with that? Do you trust him in the playoffs? Can he hold up defensively? We haven't seen a, a lot from him in the postseason, although he did win them a game against the Warriors. And again, what was his rookie year? But this is why this is an extremely difficult call. Um, you know, and I know it's been somewhat reported that that Bones is, you know, available. Like this is they're not giving this dude away. Like he is a, a highly coveted, um, valuable piece who I think everyone understands can get a lot better in a lot of different areas. It would be one thing if he had maxed out or tapped out his potential, but it's so obvious where he can get better. And if you are a team that wants him, you're buying low on this guy with the expectation and a gamble that he's going to be much better. And I think that there's, I think it's a pretty strong uh, bet to make that this guy is going to be significantly better in two years. But is that on the Nuggets timeline? Um, so, Reading the tea leaves, uh, he's uh, his minutes are growing down. Um, he 
walked off the bench during a game, what, about a week ago? Yeah. Uh, a little over a week ago. Um, that seems like friction to me. That seems like there's problems. Um, and, and I don't, you know, that, like I said, reading tea leaves, I'm speculating. Um, and now we're talking about him being on the trade trading block potentially. Right. Um, is this the time to trade a guy when, when those red flags are out there? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone would agree that bones didn't do himself any favors. Um, when he walked off the bench, um, and keep in mind, this is two, only two weeks prior. He had that public spat with, uh, Malone at the end of the bench, um, which we wrote about. So, you know, there's, there's, there's clearly questions about playing time, rotation, uh, minutes, um, and this is, this is where Bones has to kind of take a deep breath and say, I'm on a championship-level team, um, and they're already relying on me a lot. The fact that they're not relying on me as a starting guard yet or as a guy who's getting 25 minutes a game, like, this is what happens with good teams. And so, you know, is there a world where Bones wants to be on a different team because he has a bigger opportunity. This gets to this gets to Bones Bones's core. Like, do you want to play on a championship team and can you find yourself within this team? Um I mean, if you're if you're an opposing team, you're definitely, you know, just asking why is he available? What is it? Uh but I mean, you know, something pretty consistent I've heard is that you know, what's an what's a problem for the Nuggets is like, you know, like barely registers on other teams because it's been so good here. Um, so I, I don't think that there's been any, you know, huge major blowups or huge, like insurmountable friction. I, I just think that the Nuggets in general have it so good that anything that arises is like maybe taken out of proportion a little so bit. So they're not past the point of no return where they have to offload this player because of some sort of negative problem in the locker room. No, I don't think that like, I don't think that they're past a point of no return at all. Like, um, I mean, bones played on the road trip. He, you know, he, he, he was, I, I saw him interacting with, the, with some of his guys and, and, and joking again, like, and he had a couple big baskets and the guys were cheering for him. Like there's no, there's no, to your, to use your phrase point of no return. We're not there. Um, and again, a high value, upside player who probably doesn't come around that often but this is and and if you're if you're an outside team and you're like man is there an opportunity to to poach bones and to say he doesn't quote-unquote align with the nuggets timeline championship pursuit right now maybe we can get him maybe we can get him for you know ex veteran wing guy uh nebulous wing guy who, who can who can wet their whistle a little bit all right, so let's say they're they're making this trade. They're bringing somebody back. I got a couple of questions off of this. One, who's their sort of instant offense off the bench guy? Do they just not exist? They don't have that player anymore, and they're just going to exist without it. Uh, and then two, does this mean Ish Smith is going to get more run? Like how how does this work? Because you don't ostensibly you don't have a backup point guard anymore outside of yeah. having Ish Smith. Right. Well, they've been staggering Jamal. Um, they've been staggering Jamal with the second unit. Right. And he's really done well. Uh, but with, somebody's got to be on the floor when he's not on the floor. Sort right. Of running things. Right. Is that Bruce Brown? And, and it's to what degree do you trust Bruce Brown as a point guard? Um, I think is what they're asking themselves. And the other thing is, um, you know, as we've talked about 
uh, odds are Bruce is not going to be back next year. So is Bones a guy who you can use to replace, uh, to to go and replace a guy of Bruce's caliber, or is it is it Bones himself who's going to be that replacement? Like you kind of have to hedge a little bit, right? And if you're hedging, I mean, what position is is Bruce? He's kind of a two three off the bench. When we talk about what type of guy are they looking for? I have that guy in mind, mm-hmm. you know, I have, so it's hard to say, do we want another a backup, a real true, you know, quote unquote point guard, or do we want a guy who can plug in and play in a lot of different areas? Um, what, what I do think that this unknown, you know, player is, is, is defensive oriented, switchable and cheap. Good luck. <laughs> Uh, that's fine, but I'm but like when you're looking for criteria, and, and you know the Nuggets are already a luxury tax team. They're not trying to take on money, right. so so exclude the people who are on bad contracts. Exclude the guys who are making um you know seven eight nine million a year, and, and then and then do your search. And it's it's you know maybe it's scrap bins, but like if if Calvin thinks that there's a guy who can upgrade. He's. It's incumbent on him to look under that rock and to check and to say, you know, as as difficult as this is, given who Bones is and how 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 well he's connected with the fan base, we have an opportunity right now, and and that means making very difficult decisions. Would anybody else be out there for the Nuggets that they would be dangling as trade bait? Uh, is there anybody else on the roster that you think is in that position, or is it simply? Bones is our best chance to get something back, and that's about it. Well, it's definitely Bones is the best chance, but like, could you add an ish to that? And then obviously you're for going to get a guard purposes. for salary purposes, or could you add a Jeff Green to that? Um, you know, I think Jeff's making four point five, so marginally boosted up a bit. Um, again, that salary matching, and I think you can you can entertain the idea of moving a, a backup forward because you have so many of them in Zeke and in Vlatko who. I think has established himself as an NBA player, a back end rotation player, but has a chance if some team wanted him. Um, I mean, I just don't think that that's like an extra parts, if, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's options and we've talked about the glut of forwards that they have. So I, I would be kind of looking in that realm. Um, but if, again, if you're... Would Peyton Watson be like... I don't so, think that they're moving Peyton Watson. He's just a developmental piece that they're going to stick with for a while. I think that they are very high on Peyton Watson. From what he's done in the G League, from the the type of player that he's proven to be, I think there are legitimate questions as to would he be a lottery pick had he stayed in uh, the had he stayed at UCLA. And uh, I've heard in the affirmative from people who I trust... I think it's entirely possible that they got, I think what made drafting him sort of make sense where they did was that he was a high upside guy that didn't get high upside run with his college team. And it's interesting when you paint this picture, like the nuggets are able to practice patience with Peyton talk about alliteration. (laughs) Uh, But, but you know, at the same token may have a hard time practicing that same patience with bones um, because Peyton's not here yet. Peyton hasn't yeah. quote unquote arrived. But yet. Bones is a rotation piece. It's a different story. It is, but but it but it always calls into question all these. I mean, we talked about like Toronto. What is their timeline? And 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 they're on different tracks with Scotty Barnes and Pascal. They might and blow it up. That's what I'm saying. So like, you constantly have to keep. T- what is the pulse of that timeline? Um, and 
I mean, the Nuggets are on the precipice of of really being in that conversation. And like, you don't know how often this is going to happen. Look at what happened the last two years. They were robbed of two playoff chances because of Jamal's injury. Um, God forbid something else happens and and then you lose another chance. Like these don't come around. You have to seize them. Um, and maybe some people don't like that perspective, but future be damned. If you have a chance to win a championship, which you have a, a all-time player at your core, you do everything you can. You you know you can't really take for granted these opportunities, in my opinion. All right, we're gonna move on from Bones trade talk to a another topic here. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. Um, was away from the team for a week. Um, if you read the Denver Post, you know why. Um, his brother is uh, suspected in a uh, fatal car crash uh, that occurred around DU. Um, and Mike was without the team for the three games after that. Immediately after that, he returned. Um, everybody talked about him, uh, supporting him and everything, coming back. What was your read on the road about that whole situation? It was uh, it was honestly fascinating. It was, it was cool to see him back with the team. They practiced at Temple University on Friday. Mike was taking part in all the drills, was joking with his guys, doing three-point contests with Bones and Davon, which he usually does. And like, if you didn't know, you you wouldn't know that anything was going on. But I mean, I noticed him, and then I noticed it. He kind of had just like this positive demeanor and was happy and was was clearly just at ease being around his guys again. Um, which, and then I asked Malone about it, and he, he deemed it a sanctuary uh, to be back with your team because uh, theoretically you don't have to deal with the outside noise. So you know he he practices on Friday. Um, Saturday, he's, he's deemed questionable ahead of the Sixers game. He ends up playing and he ends up playing really, really well, like shooting with confidence, um, is, and it was interesting cause like the, late in the fourth quarter, uh, as they were trying to come back, he missed a wide open three pointer from the wing. And then it was like a timeout right afterwards. And he like goes to the timeout, like smacking his leg. Like he's mad at himself that he missed it. And that's when you're like, okay, maybe this dude is, is like, he doesn't, you know, he, he's been able to compartmentalize where he's mad at himself over the basketball game, the result, while not wearing all the baggage that, that has clearly been dealing with the past week. So it was good to see him back in that capacity. Um, and he, he hasn't, you know, spoken on what happened. And, you know, I think we're certainly trying to give him all the space that he needs. Uh, and if he doesn't want to talk about it, like, I don't think anybody would would probe or ask about it. You know, I think everyone understands that it is a sobering, humbling, um, trying situation that is, I mean, most of us are, it's relatively unprecedented for a lot of people. Right. Some, somebody is dead after yeah. what happened. Right. And it should be noted, you know, all condolences to the families, all of the families involved, the victim, the victim's family, uh, just a terrible story all around. Right. And, you know, and and it seems callous to talk about it from a basketball perspective, um, but that's why you know that's why this story is on our radar because of it's Michael Porter's brother, and there's no doubt that this affects him. Um, it was honestly I was surprised to see how well Mike played because uh, of how heavy this was, and I know that there were some other people who thought that he might have that he might have been in a funk, and he he very well could be in a funk for a while. We you know we won't know that until we talk to him and. He had, he's under no obligation to share any of that with us. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, at least me, I've allowed for a lot, a huge grace period. Whatever whatever 
time it takes to wrap your head around that and to to, to lock in and then be focused on your work again is whatever time I'm going to grant him. Like, I, you know, and I'm going to allow for a lot of space and a lot of whatever he needs. Cause you know, again, this basketball is immaterial in, in, in this story. Right. Right. So, uh, you mentioned the Philly game. Um, that was the end of, uh, a three game road trip. Uh, they went one and two on that road trip. Um, and, I think the biggest story obviously coming out of that was Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid and Embiid just absolutely going off in that game. Um, There's a couple of things I want to ask you about with that. Um, One, um, Malone said pregame, didn't think uh, this was something that any of these players were thinking about. I think clearly Joel Embiid definitely sees this as an opportunity to see some sort of narrative and, and he played that way. Um, well, let me just interject uh, today when we talked to Malone, he goes, uh, he goes, yeah. And rewatching the game, it was pretty clear. Joel wanted to send a message. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I think that, uh, you know, 47 and 18, come on. And like, yeah, locked in the entire game, his level of engagement. Like we can, you know, as, as much as we talk about Joker, uh, he, he put it on Joker and, you know, if Joker was the uh, MVP favorite going in, um, two different people texted me that uh, they think that, that that game Saturday changed the MVP race. Two different voters. Hard to think it, it, it wouldn't have some impact. Right. When you see, I mean, and that's where it's hilarious because Joker downplays it all and he doesn't, he claims to not care. It's like, okay, well, if you're not going to care and then you're going to get worked over, um, then it's going to have an impact. And maybe secretly, Joker is like bump, raising his fist. He's like, "All right, I don't need to deal with these questions anymore. No longer have to talk about MVP. I I don't think he's out of it by any means. Um, no, but when when we talk about Joker playing chess on the basketball court, my man plays chess with the media too. <laughs> <laughs> Let me throw a big game so they won't ask me about it anymore. So uh, one the one part of that that game that bothered me, and and you can poo poo this if you want to. Um, oh, I can't wait. Uh, at, at one point, the Sixers changed up their defensive coverage on Nikola Jokic, um, and they went with a power forward on him. Uh, Is he a power forward? He's kind of like a three, PJ. Yeah, I mean, he's. I, I think he plays kind of like a power forward in a way. I, okay. I, I, he's sort of undefined in a way. Anyway, okay. PJ Tucker's the guy we're talking about. So they they put PJ Tucker on him. I see zero effort from the Nuggets to get him the ball in places in the paint to take advantage of the size uh, advantage that he has on Tucker. He can just shoot over Tucker anytime he wants. And yes, I get that Tucker was being physical with him. And when you're smaller, NBA refs give you a lot of leverage in that way. Uh, But isn't that something that you want your best player to transcend. Isn't that something that when they make that adjustment, you say, this is the adjustment that we're going to make to counter that? Of course. Uh, and, and Joker didn't handle it well. Um, I think that it, I think that Joker, it's almost easier for him to go up against a big guy. Let me interrupt you, though. I didn't even say anything. No, you can't interrupt sorry. something when I haven't <laughs> said anything. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I... I don't think it's all on Joker either. I think it's schematic stuff. It's the other players. It's Murray, because Murray wasn't doing a great job of getting him the ball in good spots. It's the team finding a way to exploit that matchup. Yeah, but it also comes down to Joker's comfortability. And 
I honestly think he's more comfortable against big guys because a they are more plotting. They are, you know, what is the opposite of fleet-footed, slow-footed, you know, stuck in the mud. But the real thing that I think makes PJ Tucker and guys of his ilk um, good defenders on Nikola Jokic is that their center of gravity is a lot lower. And it's hard for Joker to feel them. So we talked about that Hakeem Olajuwon story uh, in SI uh, a week or two ago. How much of it was about feel and balance and weight and pressure from the defense that Hakeem leverages against the defense? Well, if the center of gravity is coming from so much lower, not to mention the physicality of what P.J. Tucker can do to him, if the center of gravity is coming from so much lower, it's awkward for Joker to feel where it's coming from. I think that... Sure. I mean, you saw that against Draymond Green in the playoffs last year. Yeah. I and I, but I think like you got to figure that out, buddy. Like that's something that you you're just gonna because if I'm a team, I look at that and say, all right, I can get away with with throwing this guy at him who's just gonna push him around. Uh, that's what I'm gonna do. Give me give me a seven game series of the Nuggets against the Seventy Sixers, and my money is going on uh, is going on the two time MVP, and not the is he a three? Is he a four? journeyman totally. PJ Tucker. I told no, I agree with you. So but, for one game, but it 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 to me but it, it wasn't been just a, one game. Okay. I mean, I'm going back to that 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 Golden State Warriors series where they're sticking Draymond on him and you I Draymond. I sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. You're all good. But it's the same it's the same kind of player. All right? He's going to try and bully you. He's going to try and push you around. The Jokic struggled with that in that series. So this is something that I've got my eye on going forward. I'll let him know. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. Noted. No, I, I don't mean to be facetious, but um, you know, I, I think it is a valid point that in in general, Joker struggles with defenders who are not quote unquote prototypical big men. Kyle Anderson's another guy. These these weird these weird kind of lanky, strong guys who, again, it's the center of gravity comes from different points and different angles. He has a hard time feeling those guys. Mm-hmm. So um, if he can be physical with you, and, and, and we saw Malone got the tech uh, when, when PJ went right. hard at him. And then PJ got the tech, and then Doc Rivers got the tech because they were like, "Our our little guy, he's giving up eleven inches or six inches." Well, you engineered the six inch disadvantage, Doc. <laughs> this is what you wanted, yes. and this is and now you're com- now you're crying wolf that uh it's that it's not working. It's like, come on, man, you, everyone. But that we- happens so often in the NBA, by the way. The the the, the smaller uh, post defender getting sort of free reign. Everyone like. Reverse, reverse, reverse engineered their their animosity. <laughs> you know, it was like like come on, man. We get what it is, but at the end of the day, it was a really good adjustment by Doc. It worked for a half. It messed up Joker. I think he only shot twice in the fourth quarter. Yes. And um and Jamal, you know, wasn't he, he wasn't hunting his shot. He wasn't. They took a lot of bad shots in that specifically. I think in that third that second half, um, Bones yeah. took some bad shots and and um. Jamal took some and, you know, wasn't really hitting. It was just like they scored 73 points in the first half and scored 46 in the second half. That is a stark market difference um, in how you're being defended. And, and you know, tip your cap to the 76ers because they, they messed them up for a half. Should the Nuggets have made an adjustment as far as who guards Embiid? Like, do you put Aaron Gordon on Embiid? Do you, oh, do you think that's something that would happen or could you even try it? 
That's scary. That I mean, Aaron Gordon's 6'9", man. Right. And Embiid is a giant. I mean... But, I mean, it's the same pr- uh, principle that we're talking about with Jokic versus, uh, versus P.J. Tucker. Yeah, I mean, who does Joker get stuck on then? Uh, Tobias Harris? Tucker? <laughs> yeah, P- maybe P.J. Yeah, hide him on P.J. Tucker. Yeah, maybe. Um, but, I mean, nobody was in foul trouble. And it wasn't like, you know... Embiid was—he wasn't killing him in the post. He was killing him in the mid range. Well, and on the perim- yeah perimeter, basically in the perimeter, but in the mid range. But it was just like so. Joker couldn't get out on some of those looks, and maybe AG could have. But like you just you, you know you just are in awe of Embiid's touch um, at the shooting touch. Well, and he was taking him off the dribble a little bit, um, getting to the hoop. Uh, where I think his quickness—he's got like I'm not saying Embiid is quick by any means, but he is quicker. That than reverse Nicole. dunk was pretty quick. Yeah, he's—I think he's got a little bit of an athleticism edge on Nicole in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's—I think it's fair to say that Embiid is more imposing and more of a of a dominant player, physically dominant player than than Joker. But Joker can impact the game in more ways than Embiid can. Right. He he does not facilitate an offense in but the same he, way. He doesn't facilitate the same way, but I've actually, I mean, Embiid's passing's gotten a lot better. No doubt. No doubt. And it was good like, in that game too. The dude is, and like, you know, I, I failed to ask Malone this question, but I promise you, Michael Malone was upset that Joel Embiid did not get named an all-star starter because he got a pissed off Joel Embiid coming into that game. Yeah. How about this, the timing on that? Huh? I mean, that game Rich. being played right after the starters are announced and Joel Embiid is not on there. I mean, unbelievable. You know, the NBA plays some chess, too. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, they, uh, they that played. That was rivalry week. Which was weird. Like Sixers, Nuggets, rivalry week. I guess it's kind of a rivalry because of Embiid. It's but not. But, <laughs> not really. but whatever. If you say so, NBA. Yeah. So Se- Second night of a back-to-back is uh, that Nuggets-Bucks rivalry. We love that rivalry. Do we, do we know when when does Embiid come through here? I hopefully he plays. I know there's been a couple of times when when Philly has come here and he has not played, and that just such a bummer. I don't know. I'm not. I don't have a schedule up right now, but but there's a return date coming. There is a return date coming, and um, you know, they're up one zero, and and maybe the Nuggets respond. Um, do you buy the idea that Nikola Jokic does not care about one upping Embiid in a one on one matchup? Yeah, I buy it. I don't think you don't he cares. think he cares at all. No, I don't really? think he cares. I think he, I think he is competitive, and and really competitive, and that's the extent that he cares. But does he take it as like a personal personal matchup? No, Joker doesn't. He doesn't think like that. He, I, I mean, this is a this is a broader topic, but like, there's like an American perspective that it's like, you know, I gotta best this guy. I gotta beat this guy, and mm-hmm. Joker does not care he's like i want my team to win if i score six points and my team wins and Embiid scores 60 i'm good because mm-hmm. i still got the win and and i genuinely think i genuinely believe him like when he doesn't he's like the guy was the guy was amazing we won i'm gonna keep it moving yeah and like when we it's talk, interesting because it's i mean it, it just is so often part of the nba narrative I mean, right but, yeah but when we talk why does joker not lean into the MVP candidacy. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's individual. There is a, he believes there is a selfish component to the MVP race. And if you win the MVP, then it is an indictment on your game. That's lit. I, because I, you're not facilitating with other players. Literally. That that's out. how Nicola thinks. 
is it is damning if you win because you've scored too many points. Therefore, there's an imbalance in your team and you have scored too much, but but you will be anointed the MVP because of it. Does does that – is there a, another side to that that sword? That, that That is the way that you approach the game. But looking at Saturday's game, for example, you if you have – that other persona, that other perspective, you you say, we're in trouble. I got to get mine right now and get us back on track. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I know what you've said before that he passes up too many shots, and he definitely needed to be more aggressive, um, and he definitely needed to hunt a little bit more when he had the smaller Tucker on him. You know, he just didn't. He also didn't have a great game. So like, there's the ethos, and then there's the fact that you have off nights, and that's what that's what I thought that was. I mean. I think he had three turnovers in the last five minutes. Um, you know, had I think maybe the equivalent amount of turnovers as assists in the second half, and it's just like, you know, I know that he's raised the bar, um, but we we don't allow for for mess ups anymore. Yeah, not no. on this podcast. And, and and certainly like just because Embiid had one game where he bested him doesn't mean that he's all of a sudden the better player. Um, that you're, if you're going off a of body of work you can still make a great argument for Nikola Jokic. It's just on that day, he got him. And yeah. you, you're like, all right, man, dude's, dude's unbelievable. So it was, it was a really great environment. I think the game meant more to, to Embiid than Joker, and um, that was apparent. How was the crowd in Philly for that? It's the best crowd, and it's the best road crowd in the NBA, or best really? home crowd in Be- the NBA. Better than MSG when it's rocking? Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's, it feels like a high school or a college environment. Um, and, you know, my favorite part is during the introductions, uh, they're like, you know, number 27, uh, point guard from Kentucky, Jamal Murray, and then all the Philly fans go, sucks. <laughs> and you do, and they do that for every single one. And then they got to Joker, uh, number 15, Nikola Jokic, center from Serbia, um, you know, starting at the five. And instead of sucks, the whole crowd just booed him, like drowned out the sucks. And it was like, this this is an engaged, informed crowd. Also, you could kind of, you know, quasi call that the pregame for Sunday's um, Eagles win. Guys, people were getting hyped. There there was a lot of juice um, in uh, in uh, Wells in Philadelphia that weekend. And quick aside, uh, shout out Philadelphia Eagles. Last year when we were in um, Philadelphia, Eagles center Jason Kelsey sang the national anthem prior to the Nuggets 76ers game. And Jason Kelsey, being from Cleveland, went to Cleveland Heights High School. He and I have a lot of mutual friends in common. So um, I went up to Jason Kelsey, had a good 10-minute conversation uh, prior to the game. Uh, We ride with the Eagles, but we also kind of ride with the Chiefs because Travis Kelsey, also from Cleveland. you're in Denver, my friend. You don't ride with the Chiefs. In I'm here for the. I'm here for the Kelsey. I'm here for the Kelsey Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, Cleveland's finest. It, it sounds like uh, Sixers Nuggets would be a great finals. Yeah, I'm down with that. I mean, yeah, it sounds like that to me too. And I've had fun with that one. I think. Okay. All right. So let's move along. Um, next on the docket, we uh, we went to Twitter. Our friend Mike Singer. Put a call out to you, our listeners, our dear, wonderful, lovely, handsome listeners. Or if you're not a man, not handsome. I don't want to say handsome. Attractive <laughs> listeners. Uh, and we got a lot of questions. So 
Mike, do you want to? Do you want me to read them? How do you want to do this? Um, we're just going to start with uh, one of our one of our longtime listeners, and you know, one of the best follows on Twitter for the Nuggets is Bronco Squatch at Bronco Squatch. He asked, "Would love some insight on the structure behind making playing time decisions for guys like MPJ and Jamal? Does Malone, the player, or the medical staff have the final say in rest days, minute limits?" Um, it's a really interesting question. Uh, and the, the insight that I have is that I, it definitely comes down to all three, all three weigh in on the decision, whether a guy's going to play or not the next day, I'll just take you to new Orleans on this road trip. Um, after the game, after the new Orleans game, I talked to Jamal Murray and Jamal was under the impression that he was going to play the next day. So that was, had not been conveyed to him yet that he wasn't going to play in Milwaukee. Um, and somewhere between there, they had a conversation. I guarantee you it was um, maybe management, coaching, uh, training staff, and Jamal and said, hey, man, you know, we just played – I think they played 40 minutes. Uh, they played Jamal 40 minutes in New Orleans. It was like this is not uh, prudent or you know, you know, conducive to long-term health. Uh, and oh, by the way, um, they might have known at that time, Joker's not playing either, so it's going to be really hard on you. Uh, so this could be a game where we just um, are we allowed to say punt on? Can we? Can we? <laughs> yes, I, I think we can. I don't know. Um, so it's definitely a, a collaborative um, decision. Uh, and then with with Michael Porter, like he want he's he's physically healthy. He wants to play in as many games as possible. Um, but Jamal, I think that they are more cautious of, and the, what's really hard, and I don't want to say, I don't want people to assume that this is only Jamal's, um, kind of mantra, but that dude wants to play like 48. Like he just does not want to come out. It, it doesn't seem like at this point, his knee, uh, uh, troubles, all that. It doesn't seem like that's really an issue anymore. Well, I mean, somebody, I forget who it was in the Philly game. Somebody knocked into his knee and he was like, and he was hurting. He was like keeled over, like working on it. Jamal's tough, but like you know, I think that it still spooks him when when he gets knocked a little bit. But, so, but it doesn't seem like it's affecting minutes, right? Like that. That I mean, this is a forest for the, through the trees. It, they always say we want to be practical with the minutes, and then he racks up thirty eight a, a right. night. You right. know, so it's it's easier said than done. But um, I bet you that that. Milwaukee one they circled early on this year, you know, management and said, "Yep, you're not going to play this one. Yeah. This is like a awful back-to-back." Road back-to-backs, yes. the worst. Yes. No, nothing nothing worse. So, I got a question for you before we go back to our listeners. Um we we talked, uh-oh. <laughs> my my Roomba just turned on. Oh boy. <laughs> let me uh let, let, give me one second to uh to turn that off. Okay, the Roomba has been put back in his cage. We've got one question from me, and then we've got two more questions from uh, the listeners. I just looking over them. Uh, we've we've already gone over a bunch of them already, frankly. So my question is this: All Star Reserves. Is there any chance that the Nuggets get somebody on there? And when I say that, obviously, I'm saying is Aaron Gordon going to make the All Star Reserves? There's definitely a chance. Uh, today, Monday, was the day that uh, coaches needed to uh, finalize their votes. I was told specifically that Michael Malone did not lobby, um, but but not did as, not lobby as other coaches. Did not lobby other coaches. However, no coaches do that. It is like it's it's not necessarily frowned upon, but it is like 
it's just a practice that's not done. You don't like call your guys up and be like, hey. Bad manners. Aaron Gordon, come on now. Apparently that does not happen in the NBA. Um, so uh, there's absolutely a chance. We saw that uh, LeBron is starting, Joker is starting, and Zion is starting. And Zion is the one that hurts because Zion's only played 29 games. And that's, you know, fans, 50% of the vote, uh, they voted Zion in. I get it. He's amazing. You don't think some of the players did? I don't trust any of the players. Right. <laughs> That's my point. I don't know who votes. I don't know. I, I don't know to what to talk about integrity. I'm curious about those votes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think there was something like 300 different players received votes, which I mean. I'm not going to name names, but there were certain Nuggets players who I talked to who didn't even know that they were supposed to be voting. <laughs> so, um, yes, I do question the integrity. Um, of that. So, so anyway, those are the three front court guys in the West. Who else is going to make the All Star team? Um, Domas Sabonis is a lock. He is going to be uh, uh, in that reserve category for the Kings. Um, Lowry Markkinen is also going to to be a lock. Uh, one because he's awesome. Two because it's in Salt Lake City, uh, and he's going to be that other one of the other forwards. You have one more forward spot which could go to, I'm looking at the list, you could chalk it up to Paul George, who's played 36 games, but the Clippers have been inconsistent at best. Meh. Jeremy Grant has played 47 games. Bad um, Trailblazers team. Bad Trailblazers team. So you keep looking down, and it comes down to, in my opinion, what's going to happen with Anthony Davis, who has, I mean, barely played. Anthony Davis played 27 games, two Even, less than Zion. Yeah, that's going to be tough to overcome. But if the coaches, de- I mean, he was also playing at an MVP level. So if the coaches deem him worthy of an all-star selection, AG is in a lot of trouble. Um, so you keep going down the list. There's still one more spot. Who is that going to? And, you know, Aaron Gordon may have the best case uh, left. And so there's the one guaranteed spot. And then you have two wild card spots uh, where the coaches can go either for the guard or a front court guy. So yes, the West is loaded from a guard perspective, but AG has a shot, and and I know that he has tapered off a little bit the last week or two. Um, that's fine. Find me a better option, and I'll listen. But they're still the number one team in the West. The whole coaching staff is gearing up to be in Salt Lake City because they're the number one team in the West. Um, AG could very well be there too. Uh, I'm not so certain, you know, I don't know if you saw this quote, but he said he's going to participate in the dunk contest if he makes the all-star team. I'm not sure if that's going to happen. <laughs> not, you know. are, are you at all concerned about the free throw shooting? Does that matter? I mean, it's yeah, it's I'm, tailed off. I'm a little concerned, but I'm a little concerned from a team-wide perspective too. Like yeah. they're, they're a really good three-point shooting team. They're really good uh, number one, number two offense in the league. And yet, what's up with the free throw shooting? I think it's a little bit between their heads or between their ears. Um I asked Contavious Caldwell-Pope today, have you heard from the league about the three-point contest? He said, uh, not yet. My team is working on it, a.k.a. Clutch is working on it. Cool. Um, His birthday is February 18th, and he said it would be an amazing birthday gift to be able to participate in the three-point contest, which is February 18th. He's pretty solid at three-point shooting. He's okay. He might I wish I was as good at anything as KCP is at corner threes. <laughs> He's that is definitely that is that's like Nikola Jokic's floater from eight feet. Yeah. Um, so and and then you know we already mentioned Bones rising star um, possibility. So there's going to be a healthy Nuggets contingent 
Um, in addition to your trusty Denver Post correspondents, uh, myself and ace photographer Aaron Antaveras. And podcast producer. I w- Don't short shrift, Aaron. Aaron's about to be in the, uh, in the skills challenge. <laughs> All right, let's get to another question here. This is from Ryan Freemeyer on Twitter. Which player that the Nuggets could feasibly trade for would do the most to increase their chances of winning a title? Uh, I like this because it can kind of lend to the type of player that they're looking for. I think everyone, you know, everyone's eyes get big when you when you bring up Alex Caruso and how how good of a defensive player he is. Um, I like Caruso. I like both of the um, McDaniel's brothers, uh, Jaden in Minnesota. I, I kind of doubt that he's available. Um, Jay Lynn in Charlotte is another interesting name. Um, and again, when when you kind of look at these teams, who are the rumored sellers? You know, like a uh, Toronto. Are, are there? Is there anybody there who? You, I mean, there's probably plenty there. Yeah, they probably cost too much though. Right. The, the salaries would be tough to match. Um, another name. What, what's going on with Indiana? Uh, Chris Duarte um, is an interesting name, and, and he's kinda, not a great defender though, is he? I mean, he's kind of okay on defense. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, you know, these are the na- these are the type of, of of names. These are like the, you know, the the two way capable guys in that price point. Um, and I don't know which one helps them the most. I guarantee you that the, the Nuggets have, you know, a ranking, a priority of some of those guys. Um, but you know, th- that's that's the the vein. That those are the type of players. And and I don't know that, that Bones is good enough to get any of those guys. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but that's who I think that they're looking at is a you know is a versatile two three. Um, and 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 it depends on who's available. Like. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not privy. I, I don't have MJ on the line to say, <laughs> hey, man, uh, what's up with Kelly Oubre? All right. Uh, one more question here from Dwayne Camacho. Is Malone a bottom 10 coach or bottom five coach in the league at this, this point? I mean, they're 20 and six in the last 26 games. That's pretty good. The offense is fourth. That's also good. The defense is fifth in the NBA over that time. Good. I realize that everyone is up in arms over Christian Brown's lack of playing time and uh, up in arms seeing Bull Bull thrive and up in arms over Malik Beasley uh, having a good year and being a trade target in Utah. Like, guys, I mean, he's the fourth longest tenured coach. He's in his eighth year. The, the team is – like. Ask yourself what standards and expectations you have right now. He's not going to win coach of the year, but he's not not in the conversation either. Like this, you know, I wouldn't call him a bad coach, that's for sure. I would not call him a bad coach either and, you know, he's he's well thought of in terms of uh, you know, being a tactical uh coach and the adjustments you make and and the communication and the relationship portion, he's well thought of around the league. So, um it's it's easy to sit and parse substitution patterns and, and say, you know, why don't you counter PJ Tucker and, um, all these kind of minutia things. But as a whole, I think he's a really good coach. Um, and who maybe doesn't, you know, I, I realize he gets hyper scrutinized, but to what degree, to what degree do other teams wish they had somebody with the tenure or the longevity or the track record that Malone has? Need I remind you of the Brian Shaw years? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it can get a lot worse real quick. 
Yeah, I mean, isn't isn't I mean, isn't stability key? And and look at the heights that they've already attained. And um, I mean, was anyone calling for Malone when they upset the the Portland Trailblazers two years ago? Like, come on, man, uh, they're first in the West. You, like, some sometimes you just you you just kind of roll your eyes. Now that being said. If if this team underperforms, if this team bows out in the first round of the playoffs, then let's ask some hard questions. But um, I mean, there was some real weird stuff going on when David Blatt got fired as the number one team in the East when he was coaching the Cavaliers, and that was unprecedented. They ended up winning the finals, though. Well, I mean, Ty Lue was pretty good. Yes. So 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 like, what you know, what are we talking about here? Is there David Blatt level? Um, you know, like, you know, chaos going on. What What are we talking about no, here? No, I, and listen, I've I've read Return of the King, and let me tell you, you you see some of the David Platt nonsense chaos. going on in the background. Oh my, that is bad. That 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 is your gold standard. We have a drinking game anytime David Platt gets brought up. <laughs> so uh, I think that's a good place to stop. All right, Mike. Uh, I think we got to pretty much everything. Um, I'd read off some uh, of our reviews on iTunes, but I know, Mike, you've got to go. Our producer, Aaron Ontiveros, is actually already gone. So we're going to say goodbye to our listeners and hopefully be back here again sometime soon. Appreciate it, man. Turn around.